Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And today, Celine, we are looking at the workplace. Mm-hmm. Cults yes, at work. Are, but... Yeah, so are we talking about cult cults? Are we talking about light cults? Cults light? Mm. Well, that is the question. So I guess um, we need to kind of define what we're talking about first. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's. I think it's a bit of a debatable question. And in some of the books that we look at about cults, so some of the books that we've talked about in the past, like uh, Margaret Singer's Cult in Our Midst, for instance, she talks about business type cults and uh, organizations that are essentially a business. Uh, but run as a cult and then there's so that's kind of one extreme and then there's kind of normal businesses who might do culty things um and where that line is drawn i think it's quite interesting and actually quite difficult i struggle with it a little bit and i have done for some time now Um, so we can talk about that as well you know where do you draw the line when when is a business slipping into cultish behavior and um, i think um yeah yanya um spoke about business cults and yes. you know these business retreats and things like that and how yes. they're a bit culty these weird business retreats walking over coals you know <laughs> that's a thing. yeah that's right yeah because of course um yanya lalich also helped with um the book she she was co-authored the book um cults in our midst so yeah she's um quite familiar with that i actually felt a bit bad saying that i was a you know, I worked in management training because um, she sort of looked a little bit uh, like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, but you don't take people on weird retreats into the forest to I learn don't. about their inner soul. So No. So, yeah, I don't, I don't um, how, how we approach this, I suppose one of, the, one of the things that I've been doing before we started, I did a bit of reading, and uh, but we haven't really referred much to um is rick sorry, Alan Ross's... we're gonna have to get a book or a t-shirt at some point that says i've been doing a little bit of reading because <laughs> that's how you introduce loads of things yeah you're like i've been doing, doing a little, little bit, bit of, read. of reading introduce yeah. this topic yeah. yeah well that's fine it's good because i have been doing a bit of reading about mm. Alan, rick Allen ross's book cults inside out how people get in and can get out so one of the areas he does talk about is in chapter 16 is something called elgat mm. um have you heard of elgat Celine? no as in l-g-a-t or correct E-L, or yeah something? so elgat is an acronym that stands for large group awareness training mm. um so this is the sort of thing i guess 
where you might have quite a lot of people, obviously, hence the large group. You might have hundreds of people. You might have, I suppose, dozens of people. But anyway, you have lots of people all listening to this guru, I suppose, this person who is giving them his wisdom. And it is normally a man, although not always. Mm. Um, and this aware group awareness training, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer in a way because I would call it more kind of personal development training if you like it's uh you sold this thing where you go on a retreat for like four or five days you might it's normally off off job um so you, you might be sent there by your work or you might have paid for it yourself but you go to a perhaps a stately home somewhere or if if you're really well off you might go to an island somewhere and there's this kind of completely all engrossing development program and it's it, it it's very much around you know transforming you as an individual finding what it is you want to be and becoming that person so mm. that's i suppose the hook is you know if you see something on on a website or you're sent on a program or you're given the opportunity to go on a program that promises that you will be able to transform your life You'll be the person that you always imagined you could be. Because um, we all believe we could be better than we are, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this, this great promise that you can do that. And there's this character, this charismatic person that is telling you, you know, I can help you do this and I can help you do that. All you need to do is follow my system. I've helped thousands of people to become the person they want to be come with me on this retreat um i mean they don't tell you the cost it normally costs thousands of pounds um and it involves some quite culty sort of activity so there's a reason why lgat these large group awareness training sessions are included in quite a few of the books about cults because they do a lot of the same culty things so what's that then so Rick Allen Ross refers to another uh, researcher here called Philip Cushman, who has done some research into what he describes as mass marathon psychology. But really, he's talking about the same thing. Um, so he comes up with four elements to what you might expect in this sort of arrangement. So leaders have a rigid, unbending belief about what participants should experience and believe. So in a way, they've got it all mapped out how the learner, I suppose, or the participant will experience this thing. And there'll be quite a few um, processes that the person will go through. I've, I've actually, in um, Margaret Singer's book, she actually goes through a typical one. Now, that mm. is getting a bit old now, so I, I suspect these some of these techniques have developed a little bit over the years. But, but anyway, so the first one is that the leader has this rigid unbending set of beliefs about how this how that every individual participant is going to experience this thing and it's essentially all the same so everyone needs to experience it in the same way essentially right. um, and it's all about change it's all about change and transformation the second one here is that leaders have no sense of differential diagnosis and assessment skills in other words anybody can do it regardless of who they are 
whether they've got any mental health problems, uh, whether it's suitable for them, whether they even want to be there, you know, everybody, there's no, well, there isn't an appropriate filtering system. It's not a tailored system. It's not a tailored system. And there's no filtering out to say, actually, given your experiences you've had, um, this isn't the right sort of thing for you. Because one of the things that I'll come to in a moment that they tend to do is kind of break you a little bit. So part of the philosophy is that you've got to, they've got to take you apart to put you back together again. Well, mm. if you're already suffering from some mental health problems, then that's not necessarily a good idea. So they don't do any, any sort of filtering out process. Thirdly, leaders had an evangelical system of belief that was the one single pathway. So again, it, this is my system that I've developed. It's the only way you're going to get to where you want to get to. Mm. Um, and it's the single way to do it. And of course, that reminds us a lot of cults, of religious cults. And fourthly, leaders are true believers. You know, they, they've kind of, they've sold themselves on this um, methodology oh, so or whatever my, it is. Old, my old question, yes. are they a member of their own cult? It appears that, that they are for these these um, gurus in these sort of LGAT mm. situations. So that's the kind of typical way that it that it works. So Margaret Singer goes through the days. I won't go in detail on this, but I think it's quite interesting. So from her observations and her research, she found that day one of these things is usually devoted to demonstrating the leader's absolute authority so you know why should we listen to you leader well this leader is amazing they've done all this they've done all that they they know everything and they have this real sense or you're you're left with a sense that you're in the presence of somebody wonderful mm. um and actually one of the things that uh rick allen ross talks about is um, actually if you look at the private lives of some of these people um they don't necessarily live the perfection that they uh, they preach but anyway um, they, often they don't, don't they, do they don't exactly they don't talk about that at all it's it's all designed to to give this person credibility day two focuses on installing the new philosophy so this is i suppose the the way that they then introduce the system the process the new way of doing things whatever they want to call it um and again one of the things that um, I've, I've found from other pieces of research is that they often have a system or a process or a set of thinking um, or ways of thinking that are drawn from a number of different both disciplines and pseudoscience really mm -hmm. um, so it's surprising how often um, Scientology comes up that some of these people have had a background in Scientology or there's some Eastern religious influence, which they don't really understand. They've just kind of taken bits from it and thrown it out the wall and see what sticks. There might be a bit of Gestalt philosophy in there. And it's all mushed together into something mm. that sounds semi-intellectual or very mm -hmm. intellectual, but actually doesn't really have any evidence for it it's just, just stolen a bunch of stuff and exactly. shaped it into their own thing exactly yeah um day three she says that this is where 
they normally do some sort of exercises and this is where the kind of altered states might come in so there might be chanting or i suppose this is where you might be walking on the hot coals or mm. something like that and it's it's designed to put you in a slightly different state so if you're doing so some of these groups do like breathing exercises and so on and we know that if you sort of breathe you can hyperventilate can't you if you do that too much and that mm. makes you feel like headed and of course that starts to alter your um the way of of, of thinking it starts to make you a bit yeah, not quite yourself in many mm. respects. Uh, day four, which I think is really interesting. This is where she says they do a lot of sharing. So what she's noticed or what happens in some of these groups is they they sit in a circle and they all, a bit like a therapy session, but this isn't therapy. There's no qualified person there. And people are expected to share some of their deepest fears and insecurities and this is all part of breaking them down. Mm. Um, so that's day four. And then day five is you know, lightness, happiness. Everything's great. There might be some dancing, singing. And it's all about signing up to the next one. Mm. So that's a kind of typical way, according to well, uh, Margaret um, Singer, it might go. Nixia is a work cult, isn't it? It's really interesting that you should say that because in the book I've been referring to, Courts Inside Out, which was uh, copyright for this version, is 2014. That's um, a while ago. Yeah. He talks about ex the Executive Success Programme, or ESP. Um, and in February 2004, 35-year-old Kristin Marie Snyder killed herself. Mm -hmm. According to authorities, she paddled a kayak into a glacier-fed bay in Alaska and capsized it. She wrote a suicide note um, and it, this comes directly after a 16-day intensive offered by a for-profit privately owned company run by a former multi-level marketing guru named Guess. I don't know his name because I've forgotten, but the man from Nixium. Yeah, Keith Ranieri. Yeah. So this ESP is now known as Nixium. So this was actually written before all of the 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 stuff came into the into the public awareness. But I think that's quite chilling in a way. Is that there were some warnings there mm -hmm. about what was going on there, so much so that it, it gets written in a book about cults. Um, clearly, Rick Allen Ross wasn't the only one who knew this. And yet, it's still, nothing happens. Keith Ranieri gets on the cover of Forbes, one of the greatest, you know, executive coaches in the world, making millions. <sighs> yeah. You, you... I think it's diff a different climate now. Like, people are more willing to talk about these, like, cultic groups and call them for what they are. And it's not just the weirdos that write cult books that will say it now. Um at least I hope that there's a change in tide there, you know. I'd, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I would like to think so. But I'm not sure. And, I think... and also a change in what's important and knowing that that's important and knowing the... Um, even if people don't call it a cult, knowing that this is bad behaviour. Do you know what I mean? This isn't okay. Um, as we talk more about just basic things like hustle culture isn't necessarily good actually and what living your life for your work isn't maybe the right thing so as we open more conversations about 
work-life balance, then maybe work cults become more easy to point out because it's like, no, the, the space that they occupy even tangentially, like, mm. isn't as okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, living for your work, it's not as... But then, you know, we're having that conversation, I don't think the work is done, but we are... Oh, that conversation has been opened now in a way it wasn't before. I, I'd like to think so, Selena. I really hope so. And, and maybe the fact that, you know, there are podcasts like this and there's lots of other podcasts, there's lots of YouTube videos, there's lots of books continually... Um, about the subjects maybe um, but I'm not sure I'm honestly not sure I, I what isn't in the book is the I suppose the fad around mindfulness which um, again I don't have anything against the principle of mindfulness but it's again open to so many charlatans and um, people claiming to be able to use these techniques to help you find peace that you didn't have before and there's lots of need for that and again in the workplace it's it's become a really popular thing even in schools it has um, and not everybody universally thinks it's a great thing i personally you know, don't have an opinion about it because no. i don't know enough about it but i hear it banded around a lot the word mindfulness but i'm just sitting there thinking do i even know what it means slash mm. Do, do, do the people saying it know what it means? Does it mean something different to everybody? Because it's like, what is mindfulness? Don't even know. Not sure. Yeah, it's a good question. I like, mean, I know what I think it means. But what then do you I think like, it means? Well, I think it means taking an awareness into yourself and how you're doing and um, the way that you're reacting and responding to things and if that's okay. But I don't know if that's right sounds pretty much along the lines i think that um uh that that modern mindfulness is so so going back a few years i i worked with somebody who was who who used this phrase mindfulness but that was more about essentially having your mind on what you were doing if you like so the opposite for him of mindfulness was mindlessness when you just go through the motions but that's not that's not the sense that it's talked about these days that's um, how I hear it used, actually, to be fair, when it's in regards to, like, mindful eating. So it's like, don't yes, watch TV right. while you eat. You should be mindful and yes. actively enjoy your food. Don't mm. just go off and zone out and not think yes. about it. Um, so I've heard it in referred to that. I, I think it's a word that, depending on what context, it's very flexible and bendable. But <laughs> that in itself is quite dangerous. Yeah. Because words like that are so tricky and easy to flex and bend at your will um depending on how you're using it so a you know a um a clever a clever wordsmith a clever talker or turk can just um you that's a great word to use because it's it is slippery and bendable you know absolutely i think you're absolutely right about that um yeah I, i think um so I, I had a go at it. What, what was that app used to be called, um, or is called? Um, Mind, like the yogery, not yoga, like calm. There was a mindfulness app that, that was really, really popular. On, on. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but yes, I did start it, and um, it seems to be, I think you, you described it quite well. Um, the idea is that you get to a state where you observe your 
thoughts and your feelings rather than getting emotionally engaged in them for a while. So you, you become aware of what you're thinking and feeling whilst you're meditating, yeah. you're in this mindful state. You like meant um, to tap into it and consider things. But yeah, but know. you're right. It's, it's so, it's so fuzzy that it, you can, you can kind of bend it to your will. Um, of course, there are links to things like meditation, some Eastern uh, religions, Buddhism, and so on, particularly. And um, of course, there, there are, if only tangential links to things like transcendental meditation, which um, we talked to Patrick Ryan about, who's obviously got a lot of experience in that because he was a member of the um, the group. Um, so yeah, it uh, these and in a way it doesn't kind of matter what it is. Um, so today it's mindfulness, or it, I don't know. It seems to have gone off the boil a little bit now, but it was a few couple of years ago. It was all about mindfulness. Tomorrow there'll be something else, but whatever it is, it's always about this same thing. It's about trying to transform yourself from who you are to who you want to be. And again, there's nothing wrong yeah, in that. It's a lot about aesthetics, you know, how you come across, how you look. It's yeah. all about. On, on the surface, it's about how you feel. But again, it's a buzzword and it's like how you look on the internet a lot for me as well. Mindfulness is like an internet buzzword that I kind of just scroll past and don't think much about. <laughs> mm, it's yeah. like, ah, yes, she's she's being mindful about what she has in her porridge, of course. Scroll, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> yeah, it is. And as I say, in a way... There'll be some. It'll be called something else tomorrow. There'll be another, a different system, a different process, a different strategy for finding the the perfect you. Um, and one of the things that is always promised is is that um, you'll have some sort of epiphany. Um, and it's often one of the things I noticed on one of the websites I I looked at when I was doing some research on this was. Um, so the claim was that you are that the, the methods here are not they're not scientific. They are um, the ontology is about what it's like to be you, and they invoked phenomenology. Um, but again, these they're, they're taking words that and mean something. Remind us and what just, phenomenology is, because I know, but maybe yeah. So phenomenology is is really the, I suppose the experience that an individual has um and if you're trying to understand somebody's phenomenology that means what it's like for them to experience their life or whatever it is they're doing so you might say what's the phenomenology for this person of getting made redundant let's say let's explore that let's understand that what that really feels like for them mm. um, and we'll only ever be able to get a an approximation of that, of course, because it's only that person that truly knows their own phenomenology. Um, so, you know, if you unpack what they're actually saying to you is we haven't really got any theoretical structure for this. We haven't got a process. Um, you're just going to experience stuff and you're going to get an epiphany from it. And, um, of course, they're going to put you through certain things to get you there. Part of this apparently involves... Uh, so Shine is somebody we've talked about before on the podcast. Shine is a 
Uh, Edgar Schein was a a uh, psychologist. I've studied him in organizational psychology, but he also did work on coercive control, which was quite interesting around the North Korean uh, prisoners of war. And he came up with this model called um, unfreezing, changing and refreezing. In itself, it's a very, very simple idea. But the idea is that if you want to change somebody, if you want to coercively change somebody, then you need to unfreeze their patterns of behavior, the way they are, the way they see themselves, their identity. You then obviously can change it according to your will, and then you refreeze it again. So what he saw in the prison camps and what um, Robert J. Lifton, of course, saw in his work in, into Chinese um, camps was that they would um, bombard people with information, they would beat them, they would... Ex, um, expose them to all sorts of horrible things they would isolate them they would make them feel like they couldn't talk to anybody because there was always spies in the midst so they they literally broke them mm. and what seems to happen is if you really break somebody like that you're left um, with nothing other than the thing you are being bombarded with to accept and to help you understand the world. So I think about it in terms of sense-making. If there is nothing else in your life that is making sense, and the only thing is the thing that you're being bombarded with, then you're going to grab hold of that. Mm-hmm. And this is where things like uh, the Stockholm Syndrome comes in, when you know people have been kidnapped and they start to identify with their kidnappers. You know, So that it's that sort of thing. You know, If you're completely isolated and... Um, You've got no access to the outside world. You you are physically drained. You're broken. It's then relatively, if not easy, it's possible to put you back together again, but in the way that the cult or the prison guard, or in this case, the management trainer, the management guru, the yeah, the coach, whatever it is, uh, wants to put you back together and of course that will be in a way that keeps you dependent upon them because you, you keep coming back and buying more products from them um do we have anything to say on how you can spot this ahead of time so you're not on the island already or in the weird little like you know hotel yeah so i think i think one of the things that we should be careful of is this word transformation so it's a word that i have a difficult relationship because I think I've always been excited with the idea of being able to transform things, you know, make things better. So take a business that's um, struggling and help transform it into a successful business. Um, Help somebody who's really struggling and transform help transform them into somebody that's happy and so on. On the face of it, these things sound great, but, Transformation um, suggests to me that you're really looking to fundamentally change something. Now, that's okay if it's a business. But if you're talking about a person, I think you have to be very, very careful about that. And Mm -hmm. so that's a word that I would be, personally, I would be careful of. And I've only started to see that since I've been really studying cults over the last few years. So when I... I think all the listeners probably know that I work in management development and um, 
helping people to be better at their job. Um, and I could have easily seen me go down the route of facilitating things like the things I've been describing because it sounds so exciting you know who wouldn't want to provide um an opportunity for people to transform themselves into the person they want to be mm-hmm. that sounds great but i think there is such a risk there because you ultimately what you're doing is your the goal is to, is to change a person at that fundamental level and i think now i believe that that's that comes with some serious risk. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's one of the things I would look out. Should be a therapy session if someone really wants to fundamentally change yeah. things about themselves. That should be something that you do with a therapist, right? Not not at work. Absolutely. That's not to say that, of course. You know, I am a development person. I, I do believe in training and developing people. I think it really helps, but. You do that through, through the small lens of work and it's and, and small incremental steps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so you learn a new technique to do something like little thing like how, how do I complain? You know, how do I make a complaint to my boss? How do I say I need something to be done? You know, uh, straight away if I'm a manager. Now these are techniques and ways of doing things, but it's not like you are rooting out your who you feel you are and trying to replace it with something else um and so yeah i think i think training is great development is great but when it's healthy it's a slow process it's a step-by-step process you learn a bit you make a mistake you learn a bit different you adjust and that's how we learn um to imagine that you can go on a five-day course where they're going to essentially break you and put you back together again. And that's going to produce something that's going to make you better and happier. Um, I personally, I'm very skeptical to start with. And secondly, I, I think that there's likely to be at least a subset of those people who don't handle that very well. I'm not saying it's everybody, but I think there will be some that will struggle with that. And that could be damaged. So that's my thoughts on it. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not an expert in those types of groups. And in a way, we've not talked about them much on this podcast because our focus has really been those who have been raised in a group. Mm. This is a bit different. This is where you are essentially, you're either recruited actively or a poor individual gets sent on a training course they think is part of work. And all of a sudden, they're exposed to this this thing that is um, that is trying to change who they are. As like a society, as you know, governments and so on, how should they be protecting, um, you know, people? And you know, what should the laws be around these sort of things? Because they're operating as though they're in a business, you know, mm. but they're doing really dangerous dodgy things it's so difficult isn't it because how do you differentiate between um essentially a training program that i've described where you're looking at techniques and um, of course it involves thinking and the way that you think and the way that you approach things how do you differentiate what is i would consider healthy and normal learning Mm. with these types of things and i'm not sure you can legislate for it if i'm honest 
Um, clearly, there needs to be some health and safety questions, some due diligence and, done. Yeah, and like schools have Ofsted. Should these training mm. courses have some kind of overseeing body um, that does that could just pop in at any point, you know? So I guess what you could do is you could... I don't think the government's ever going to get involved in that, honestly. Mm. Um, other than for obvious health and safety risks. And there are some obvious health and safety risks, some physical health and safety risks, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, but I can't see the government get, getting involved in that. But you could... Like, do they not have to face the same... Because it's not a workplace, so they don't have to face the same kind of work-related rules as you do. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they should do. And, and so we have a health and safety executive... Um, in the UK, and I, I guess they have something similar in other countries, who um, who investigate accidents or incidents, mm. but they tend that tends to be physical accidents. If somebody gets injured at work or or even killed, then there's an investigation and and so mm. on. But I don't know of any that, and there may be um, there will be health and safety checks. But again, I don't know of any mental health checks, and maybe there should be. So maybe that's mm. something that we should be looking at. Um, but I just can't see it happening, um, not in the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, I think that would be resisted massively. Because at what point do you say, oh, there's too much pressure in this in this workplace, you know, we, we need to do something about this. You could look at, at things like mental health problems within a workplace and see how many people are suffering. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could do something like that. Maybe you're right, Celine. Maybe, maybe actually you could do something. Yeah, because I think if a bunch of people kept breaking their leg mm. because things weren't right in the health and safety, then something would have to be changed. If you keep having repeated managers going off on sick, like if you've got a mm. swinging door of managers leaving due to mental health issues yeah. and all of their staff are depressed then why are you not treating that like the people that were breaking their leg on the machine? Do you know what I mean? It's a really good question. I don't know. Because I don't it, know. Yeah, mm. because it's like, because as much as they have posters about wellness, um, you know, they can ignore that and mm. say, oh, it's not necessarily to do with work. Whereas if you break your leg at work, <laughs> they can't refute it. Yeah, so it's one of the, that's one of the problems, isn't it, with with that type of health problem is that it's not as visible. Therefore, it's difficult for mm-hmm. for people to acknowledge that it is actually a um, a real problem. And it can but, be caused by work. Ab- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. No, it's a very good point, and um, yeah, it would it would certainly make um, a lot of these groups wake up. I guess so. So the one I was going to talk about relating to health and safety was a was actually a, a guy that was on a Netflix documentary. I had a look to see it's not on UK Netflix anymore. Um, the documentary is called Influence Us, but it's about a guy called James Arthur Ray. And he was again one of these guru types who blended together lots of other ideas and philosophies and so on. Uh, and part of one of the things that he took from, I think it was Native American culture, but again, he took it without really understanding it. He took yeah. the idea of these uh, sweat lodges uh, or a sweat lodge. So basically 
after some days of really heavy work, really hard work, these this group of people who were there to help you know transform themselves had to sit in this lodge uh, with lots and lots of people, and it was absolutely roasting hot, boiling hot weather, um, and they're literally sweating to death, and there were actually deaths in this sweat lodge so um of course now we have at this point we have a uh, the police are called and obviously he then ends up in prison and uh, and so on so this is a good example of of the risks uh when you start to start doing things like this without any real formal understanding of what you're doing and the protection and so on and according to the people who know what they're doing with this sort of thing you don't just stick people in a room like that and don't give them any water, you don't check on them, which is what he did, and that's what caused the deaths. So I think it's quite interesting. It's an interesting documentary. If you get a chance to check it out, it's very good. So yeah, there are some real risks involved in it. Um, and again, I'm at, I, I'm at pains to say it's not all of those things, and there's lots of management development programs that are nothing like that, and personal development programs, I'm sure. But I think... Um, it's worth just checking out what what their claims are, what it's based on, um, and not being fooled by some of the really great websites and claims. And you know, there's lots of doctors being quoted about how great this is and how it's changed their life. They've never had training like it. Um, and you know, some of these groups uh, they have quite a checkered history. There's one that is mentioned by Rick Allen Ross called EST, Erhard Seminar Training. It's now known as Landmark. Um, it's still going. You can look at the website. Again, I personally have no idea, cannot judge what that group is like or what that training is like. But I, I can say, looking at the website, I saw nothing there of any substance that I could put my finger on. What you're getting is lots and lots of testimonies saying how wonderful it is and what it did for them, and this is great. But you know, so I think I think there is there is a, a need to be to be careful. We did talk about self help before, but I, and I think this is just an extension of that, really. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, wow. I think that's been very interesting, hasn't it? It's something that we've talked we've talked about going into before, and it's the first time we've actually done it. So I'm glad we've done that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's other things we, we could talk about. Perhaps um, save that for another time. I mean, one of the things that I am currently in the middle of, it's taking us ages to do it, but um, one of my fellow students at, um, on my organisation, Psychology Masters, uh, has a, a podcast called the World of Work Podcast. And um, so we've been doing a series of, of podcasts about cultish workplaces and we talk a bit about some of this stuff but more about i think companies like we work or um, enron companies like that and we look at leadership that could be straying into the cult leadership type of style sort of like transformational management like maybe, and, um, um, i don't so know because i've not watched it but amanda seafried in that new show that's on Apple, I think. Is this the, um, yeah, so Elizabeth Holmes. A little bit culty. Absolutely. Don't advertise other people's podcasts on our podcasts. <laughs> what, that's not, 
I'm talking about the show, though. I the know. TV show, yeah. I know, yeah, I know. But there is another podcast called A Little Bit Culty. So oh, oh, I see, I see. Uh, um, yeah, but you're right. And I think Elizabeth Holmes is a great example of uh, how somebody with confidence and good looks and a vision. So, again, this comes back to this charismatic leadership. So, vision, confidence, aligning their vision with. Uh, what what other people want and uh, you know all of that sort of stuff that we've talked about a bit before and Jane and James on the wow podcast world of work podcast we talk about that too so yeah um, once that comes out we'll have that as some bonus content and uh, we'll we'll talk about that a bit later on but yeah there's it's a big big subject I think it's really difficult to unpick it but perhaps the the takeaway message is not to not to avoid anything that's self-development, but to think about what are they offering? What are they promising? And yeah, is it a reasonable, realistic um, and B, what is it going to take? You know? Mm. So I think there's some things to think about there. Nice one. But anyway, we have a very brief tweet of the week. of the week tweet 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 of the week okay so tweet of the week um this week celine is an exciting one it's a bit old i'm afraid uh, because we haven't really done tweets of the week and it's all out of sync so anyway germ one of our previous guests. In fact, when Germ came on our channel to talk about games, um, he did say, didn't he, he'd gone mm-hmm. to Iceland. Yeah. But he didn't say why he'd gone to Iceland. Only later did we find out. This is a tweet from the 23rd of the 5th, so it's a little bit old now, but wanted to say congratulations because he said, oh, yeah, by the way, we got married. Mm-hmm. No better way to stick it to my old homophobic travel-shaming, pagan-obsessed religion than to have a big gay pagan wedding in Iceland. Mm. Um, and I like the hashtag, best life ever, because that's one of the hashtags that the JWs use, isn't it? <laughs> uh, best life Good. ever. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to congratulations. and yeah. his husband. I can't see a name there, so um, I think he may have mentioned the name going back a bit but anyway congratulations to you both um and dark horse for not mentioning it on the last podcast Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) all right well that's it that's the end of tweet of the week right nice one tweet of the week 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 okay so um so that's it i guess for this week it's a bit of a shorter one only marginally yeah um so uh yeah how do yeah, we end I'm it i'm off to go pass out and eat a solero um off brand of course um because yeah. 
Oh, it's fine, isn't it? It's uh, a very warm day in the UK today. It's hotter in the UK it, than it is in Africa in some places. Well, you know, you know, it's a whole... The hay fever's awful, um, so sorry if I've sounded atrocious, but that's <laughs> oh, just how it is. We're, I'm, I'm a pasty English person who can't stand the heat and is allergic to the outdoors. <laughs> right, well, I think uh, nobody noticed, so it's fine. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Join us next time for What Should I Think About? Maybe we'll change the name soon. Should we we tease it? We might be changing the name. (laughs) We're thinking about changing the name, guys. Um, Mic drop. Running about. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. Bye. 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 What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 